All right, Job 22. Uh, we read a little bit here. Eliphaz. This is Eliphaz's last. Third time is not a charm. If you want to write down a title, third time is not a charm. Uh, in this case, with Eliphaz. And Eliphaz the Temanite entered and said, this is entering Job. Can a man be profitable unto God as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Or is it gain to him that thou makest thy ways perfect? Will he reprove thee for fear of thee? Will he enter with thee into judgment? Is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite? <coughs> no, blessing to the redeemers of the words. Pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray to help me tonight. I would say nothing amiss. Thank you, Lord, for the singing, your, your songs, and the spirit we can have together, giving us voices to praise you. May we praise you every day. Lord, thank you for Tom's uh, public dedicate or public profession that he is your child. Pray you give direction in his life and his wife. Thank you for the uh, anniversary of Jeremy's baptism. Thank you, Lord, for your watch care, your provision, even when we're unexpecting it. And so we just thank you again for being able to meet together here. Pray that you just bless our time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Four points if you're taking down notes. The proof, the particulars, the prematurity, the plea, four Ps. I found a new, uh, I found another commentator from 1899. A commentary, a commentary from 1899. And I'm using some of that tonight by Edward Gibson along with Dr. Talbert, Dr. Swindoll, and Dr. Mike Mason. I'm going to try to give you a little bit of a lead into this chapter by an illustration from the medical world. Trial and error, as you well know, and medical advances have been problematic. They've had a checkered history, as you well know. Was it not George Washington? They, they bled him out to try to heal him, and that was a practice a long time ago. But more recently, it used to be x-ray pictures were taken of patients uh, uh, while they were standing. And so, who lies down for a picture? So, say, for example, a lady would come in, have an abdominal discomfort, have an x-ray of her, of her stomach, and they'd say, well, that's a fallen stomach. And so, they would diagnose it as potosis of the stomach. And sophisticated machinery and, and surgical procedures, and they would tie up those organs and put them back in place. And then somebody said, is it possible that because they're standing up, the effects of gravity affect all those organs? And so, they started taking them laying down, and the diagnosis changed completely, and they no longer do those kind of things. Uh, from what I understand, now another instance is probably to do, but as a general rule, that uh, does not happen any longer. All those pitocin stomach things. So medical history illustrates the infallibility of human judgment. I think the current transgender craze will show if the Lord waits long enough, will show down in history that it was a mistake. It was an abuse of children. It was. It was acquiescing to the political culture. And they will say, why were you doing that to our children? Well, we had such political pressure and cultural pressure, etc. So, Job's friends, the tie back into Job, they, have, they believe that their patient has a radical sin disorder. He's asked them more or less to be specific, but they can't really give true specifics. He's lost so much. He lives in pain. He's living in the, the, the dump, if you would. And so far they've stuck together in these inflexible diagnoses that Job has got something, some sin in there somewhere. So Eliphaz is the chief surgical resident, but he lacks the surgical resident's delicate touch. And he has no bedside manner anymore. That's deteriorated. So he probes Job's conscience with a machete in this chapter, slashing his way here, there, and like through the jungles of Job's mind. What's he looking for? 
He's looking for anything that he can condemn Job for and save his own bacon. Because he believes Job has sinned grievously, and that's why he's suffering. Surely, God would not punish someone who's living right with all these problems. Because if he promises Job, then maybe I'm going to get some of those problems as well. So the problem is he's misreading Job's symptoms. He's examined the patient, but he's not really listening to the patient. He assumes that what he's learned in medical school about five centuries ago is still, he knows every single malady that there is that exists. And so he has got Job's disease down pat because he misdiagnosed Job's condition. His recommended remedy is not useless, but also dangerous. This type of internal medicine, by the way, is still with us. We have the health and wealth gospel that says that if you are sick, my goodness, your faith is lacking because God wants everybody healthy. We know that's not biblical. God wants everybody wealthy. We know that also is not biblical. God is happy to have wealthy people. He's also happy to have people who are as poor as church mice. I'm not sure where that phrase came from, church mice. I guess churches are poor and the mice live in the churches are just like desperate. So, if you want to talk about chapter 22, verse 5, is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite? It's like he's taking a machete in hand. He's like the exploratory surgery in the life. This is his last shot. In the life of Job, to find something that he can pin his diagnosis on, and there's no anesthesia. I remember my dad, he would, he'd so just, I, actually, I've had really good dentists in my life, but going to a dentist, I saw I'd rather take a beating and go to a dentist. And I have a really good dentist. He's very nice. My dad, though, feared needles so much. Every dental work, no, no shots, no numbing. Every time they did dental work, I don't know how he did it. He did not, he hated needles more than he hated all the pain that went going to the dentist. As far as I know, to the day of his death, he still never, he did not use dental, those shots. Was, I bring it on. Give me the more, the better. That's the first thing he killed anyway. If there's ever a case of malpractice, it's right here in our text of Job, especially 22 tonight. We're honing in on that. So the first P is proof, the proof of Job's wickedness. Now, Job just spent 21 bulldozing this false premise under, but has reared its head again. They cannot refute Job's argument, so they have to find some pretense. Why not acknowledge that Job has a point? Because that throws their theology under the bus, if you would. But it's not one of Eliphaz's even pauses to consider. Is it, is it possible that, that God would take, bring things into people's lives to bring them back to himself? Or bring, in this case of Job, bring things into people's lives that he would get glory? That Job, next chapter, I shall come forth as gold when he tried. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. And God does it here to prove to Satan that there are people who worship God for God for who he is. So he starts by asking whether God has anything to gain from Job or whether his righteousness would bring God any profit. Can a man be profitable, verse 2, unto God, as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Or is it gain to him that thou makest thy ways perfect? Can God really be affected by the conduct of Job? 
He has nothing to gain from Job's righteousness and nothing to be lacked by Job's unrighteousness. Man's wisdom only affects and profits himself. Therefore, God could not be sending this to you, Job, because he doesn't have to. He doesn't. That doesn't affect how he lives. That's the thinking of Mr. Eliphaz. You can pronounce it Eliphaz. You can pronounce it however you want. Eliphaz. I'm not sure how you want to pronounce it. Eliphaz. I found this, uh, the biblical illustrating. Now, this is an older commentary that you're you're thinking, Cap, all regarding God's independence of mankind. He is so independent of it that he is not affected by it, by Job's actions. No hellish crimes can lessen his felicity. No heavenly virtue can heighten his blessedness. He is infinitely more independent of all the virtues in heaven than the orb of day is independent of a candle's feeble rays, more independent of all the crimes of hell than noontime brightness is of a mere whiff of smoke. He is not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, and that fact should impress us. God is so far above us. He doesn't need us. You, you realize that God's plan is going to go on. You either It's like, either get on board with it or you don't. He's, he's got, his plan will be carried through. I trust you and say, you know, I want to be a part of that. Do you not want to be? I don't want to be a part of that thing. And so, yes. Verse 4. Will he reprove thee, Job, for fear of thee? Will he enter in with thee into judgment? That fear there is reverence. The idea of reverence in five is not thy wickedness great, and thy iniquity is infinite. The conclusion is Job's sufferings must be due to his sins, and from the greatness of his sufferings, he must have really done wrong. I mean, it's like when you get spanked as a young person, this first four or five links will be what you did. And then you're and then you're trying to escape, or you're trying to run away, or you make some little cute little mark. Let's try that some more. And so the second part is, wow, he must have had a pretty bad offense because not only did the first licks, he got the extra licks for being, I didn't really hurt. When someone says that, well, let's see if we can remember that. I'm not sure my brother did that, but he's not above it. And nor were I. So I think Eliphaz, in his last speech here, he's desperate. He's accusing Jones of specific sins for which there's absolutely no evidence. If you were to say that Pastor Tim loves sewing on a sewing machine, where did that come from? Because there's absolutely no evidence that I love sewing with a sewing machine, but there it is. I'm just throwing it out there. There's no one to catch that one because no one would believe that. He's going to throw bad things out about Job, and none are true. So that's the proof. The proof of Job's wickedness in the mind of Eliphaz. Second is the particulars, the description of it in detail. Now, we're going to enumerate some offenses, if you would, that he's going to show without a shadow of proof these assertions. He tells them to his face that he's oppressed the helpless, and he's refused to show the most common of humanity to those who are starving. Look at our next verses. For thou hast taken a pledge from thy brother for naught. The word not means without cause or undeservedly. That pledge would be probably be like maybe uh, would be a, uh, interest or money or something. Something like that. For naught. And strip the naked of their clothing. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink. And thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. That's a low life. 
I mean, you see someone in need and you're not willing to help them. He's accusing now, what, what's the background? Is Job a, a godly man? Yes, of all the men in the East, you, you're going to pick on somebody. Pick on Pastor Tim, but don't pick on Job because Job's above reproach. But remember, these guys are desperate. Desperate. They're desperados. Not according to the song, but anyway. For thou hast taken a pledge for thy brother for naught, stripped the naked of the clothing, thou hast not given water to the weary to drink, and thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. What kind of person are you that you can see somebody hungry? I mean, even my cats, if they wait long enough and give me those woeful eyes. That... Now, my, now, my cats come around at every meal, and the one graveman sits down there and looks up there and and when Kinder brings her, her pooches home, that one, Dylan, he can sit there for the longest time and just try to get you to get some wolf. I'm so disturbed, guys. Can I have something to eat, please? And he's stuffed as a toad. <laughs> and, and Ivan has just eaten, but he's down there. Can I stuff the captain? And you know what? I give them something. That's why they keep coming back. You're thinking, yes, yes. But even, even an animal, don't. don't you see animals in the shelters and they've been mistreated. Your heart goes out like mine because we want to do something to help them. I know Mr. Womack loves his animals. He loves Moses and, and Bear and Tommy and Rastus and no, 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 no I can't remember the rest of the name. I know that because I see them on Facebook. So I mean, we're part of Mr. Womack's family of animals knowing all about that thing. So Job has withholding bread from the hungry. What a, what a, now, behold your finger. Look at 31, 19. Job answers this accusation. Job 31, 19. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing, or any poor without covering, if his loins have not blessed me, and if I have not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my broken shoulder blade, and my arm be broken from the bone. If I have done this kind of thing, listen, I need to let my arm be broken. He denies it as well he should. It's like going from house to house, field to field, he's taking possession of the whole land. Now, Job was a very, very wealthy man. He had a lot of land. I, I imagine the whole, the whole, all those animals. My goodness, he had to have a lot of land to keep them all happy. He was a mighty man. He was honorable. But they're saying, no, you're taken by uh, sleight of hand, perhaps, or by uh, putting pressure on them and, 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 and repossessing. I'm not sure, but the idea is there is he's so misused humanity. But he was honorable. Verse number, next we go to verse number eight and nine. Then let me sow and let another eat. I'm sorry, back over, that's 31, 89, back over to 22, I'm sorry. 22, uh, but as for the mighty man, he had the earth and the honorable man's love in it. Thou hast sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fathers have been broken. Now you see where that little, back from 31, how it ties in there. No, if I have done those things, and may, may, may I do that. Now remember, the right arm is the sign of strength. Even God says that the strong right arm, the strong right hand of God, and that's a anthropomorphism that is giving to God a human characteristic so we can understand that God is mighty, etc. about our minds thinking. Verse 10, Therefore snares are around about thee, and sudden fear troubleth thee. It's for such conduct that Job's calamities have overwhelmed him. Snares is the word uh, in the same way in eleven six of Psalm, Upon the ungodly he shall rain snares. Verse 11, O darkness that thou canst not see, and abundance of waters cover thee. Paraphrase, or dost thou not see darkness in the flood of waters that covereth thee? Thou 
that thou dost not see, okay, dost thou not comprehend and understand the meaning of all these things? What a diatribe against Mr. Job. That's the particulars, a description of his detail. The proof, thirdly, is the prematurely, prematurity, warning against the careless security of the wicked. Warning against the careless security of the wicked. Do you think, that, I'm just thinking for our own country, don't you think a lot of people are carelessly secure? Our, our, our world, our nation, in a week's time, we could go from where we are sitting now to be in absolute just chaos. What, look what happens when the, the power goes out. Look what happens when, if the government would default just one month, all the money it gives out. And I know there are some, I'm just saying, if it would stop that, or our Social Security would completely dry up in one month, or, or this would happen, or we would be invaded by another country. Or all these things, our world as we know it would be turned upside down, would it not? In such a short order. So, the, the warning against the careless security of the wicked, and more importantly, that is, what are you doing for eternity? That's the most important question, is it not? Where are you going to spend eternity? So does Job imagine that since God dwells in the height of heaven, he's too high and cannot see through the clouds to see what you're doing, Job? Do you think that God does not know what's going on here? So Eliphaz himself, he repudiates such thoughts and counsels, counting himself among the righteous. Job, Job I, he, I'm, I'm a righteous dude. He doesn't say those exact words, but that's what Eliphaz built that in so far thinking about themselves. Now, again, they came out to help but we have digressed. The relationship has digressed. It's funny. It, and I know that most relationships you, you improve on and, and you grow closer. But every once in a while you meet somebody and you know, we just don't agree. We just need to, you know, you go your way and I don't mind and we'll live happily ever after apart from one another. And so that, that and so this has started out good, but the relationship has gone downhill with his three friends. So the premature, a warning, the premature warning against the careless security, verse 12. Is not God in the heights of heaven? And behold, the height of the stars, how high they are. And thou sayest, Hath God, how doth God know? Can he judge through the dark cloud? The psalmist said, And they say, The Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob consider. It's just the same kind of unbelief that Eliphaz attributes to Job. You think God can't see what's going on? God sees you, Job. He knows what's going on in your life. The same darkness that he used of Sinai in Exodus 20, verse 14. That clouds are a covering to him that he seeth not. He, he walketh in the circle of heaven. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have troubles, trodden, which are, were cut down out of time, whose foundation were overflown with the flood? To the rebuke of Job's supposed disregard of God, Eliphaz, that warning. Don't you remember the Antediluvians and had before the flood? Don't you remember those people who rebelled against God and God brought the flood and wiped them out completely? All those kind of things. Do you remember those, Job? 17. Which said unto God, depart from us. And what can the Almighty do for them, to them? We are in a country that many have said, depart from us. And God's doing just that. He's departed from us in many ways. Oh, that we would seek Him. That we would repent and turn to Him as a church, as a people. I know, Pastor, you keep saying that almost every yes. Because that's what we need to pray for. We are on the cusp. Do you not see where we are? You have to have your head in the sand to not see how far down the road we already are. As a nation, we need to repent and return. We need to be praying for the people who are leading our country. They would get right with the Lord. If they're not right, they get right. 18. 
Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Eliphaz adopts the words already used by Job, whose foundation has overflowed with the flood. Look, Job is right with God. Eliphaz doesn't think so. Verse 19, the righteous see if and are glad, and the innocent laugh them to scorn. Whereas our substance is not cut down, but the remnant of them, the fire consumeth. The idea is that which remaineth to them of their, of their abundance, their possessions, is going to be consumed. Listen, Job, I'm telling you, the wicked are going to get their comeuppance at some point in time. Job, remember the whole thing. You're not right with God. Confess and repent and get right. The last few verses are really an earnest appeal of a plea. Fourth P is the plea. Earnest appeal of Job to reconcile himself with God. Job, get right with God. Verse 21, we see then an earnest exhortation to him to make peace with God. Acquit, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Make a threefold appeal. First of all, he's to receive God's teaching. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth. The only time the word law is used in the word Job, I believe. And lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Now I'm telling you, he's, he's giving him some good counsel here. It's almost like a pastoral heart. We just don't know if it's for Job's benefit or the benefit of his own conscience. When Eliphaz says all these things, verse 24, Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Probably it was in a place in Arabia. If he will do this, then God will prove himself to be his richest treasure. 25, yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. Now, I think that Mr. Eliphaz is a prophet doesn't know it. Because when this is all done, does not Job have twice as much as he had before? Yes, if you follow God, he says, you'll have that. For all Job's prayers shall be heard and granted. 26 and 7. For then... Thou shalt have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto Him, and He shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. 28. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, There is a lifting up, and He shall save the humble person. He shall deliver the island of the innocent, and is delivered by the pureness of thine hands. He shall deliver the island of the innocent, the person of the innocent there. God will do these things. But what is the criteria, Mr. Job? You've got to get right. See, the whole diagnosis, remember the beginning, the, the incorrect diagnosis or change of diagnosis. He has a limited vision of what's wrong with Job, and he keeps, a, it's, like, it's like the same thing over and over. He will not change. The word island in verse 30, one who is not innocent, however, we might get the idea of something like the, like the context suggests God will eventually answer the prayer, answer the questions of those who are innocent. With, uh, with his utterance, we end Eliphaz's speeches. One man said, there's something pathetic in the picture of this good man, so earnest, earnest in his endeavor to help his friend, so sure of his own position and capable of uttering such great truths in a language of great beauty, and yet... So utterly unable to conceive of any truths beyond these contained in his own theological library. We, we see people today have the gift of writing, the gift of exposition, the gift of, of creating a word picture. We have the people who are so 
intellectually astute and spiritually blind. Much more important to have the knowledge of God and His Word than to be the smartest man on earth. Because this wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And when you, when you don't have that, you can be as smart as a Einstein. By the way, Einstein was this declared as a child would never be about to anything. And one of the geniuses didn't even start talking till they were operative. It was, but yet God, so, God knows best. We find in that he, he wants to put Job under, but Job has not sinned. Eliphaz is an example of someone from question portrait of that. Grace under pressure. Job has had so much pressure to capitulate to the world. By the way, we're going to have pressure to capitulate. Not, not like Job has. But we're, we're, we're pressured right now to capitulate the culture. In your job, where you work, what you do. What you say, how you believe about things, let's not, let's not capitulate to the culture. In other words, give in. Let's not compromise. Let's stand for what God has said in His Word. It's about God. I like this. I'll close with this. This is from uh, Oswald Sanders, by most for his highest. How many of us are expecting, remember his, my utmost for his highest. How many of us are expecting Jesus to quench our thirst when we should be satisfying Him? We should be pouring out our lives, investing our total beings, not drawing on Him to satisfy us. You shall be witnesses of me. That means lives of pure, uncompromising, and unrestrained devotion to the Lord Jesus, which shall be satisfying to Him wherever He may send us. Beware of anything that competes with your loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor to true devotion to Jesus is the service we do for Him. It is easier to serve and to pour out our lives completely for Him. The goal of the call of God is His satisfaction, not simply that we should do something for Him. We are not sent to do battle for God, but to be used by God in His battles. We Are we more devoted to service than we are to Christ Himself? And that's... I, get, I, get, I can follow that trap. We're going to serve. We're going to do. I'm doing, doing, doing. I'm so busy doing, doing, doing. And what He wants from me is to learn about Him. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. And that, let's not get so busy doing, we forget that we're human beings. And we're to be being in right with Him. Let us pray. Close. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You love us and care for us. We thank You that You have been so good to us. We thank You that we're not facing Eliphaz's and Bildad's and Sofar's and people who start out as friends and then want to castigate us on all sides. I trust, Lord, that we are praying one for another in humility that we will not, that we will not surrender, that we will not give in, that we will be encouraged. So Lord, help us as we walk this week to serve You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we do it in my life be glorified?